0: Hello, my name is Emily Jansen and this is the Leadership is Female podcast podcast. I'm a female leader in sports. I'm the general manager of a triple A baseball team in minor league baseball. and I'm the first woman to hold this title in nearly 20 years. And I'm here with the leadership is female podcast to make sure that this amount of time never goes by again before another woman leads. Marian Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here to interview successful women in sport to uncover opportunity Learn the tips, learn from our mistakes, learn from our successes to get you to the top faster. Join me and my guests week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. I will lead her forward because leadership is female. Welcome to episode 22 of the Leadership is Female podcast. Today's guest is Jessica Berman, an incredibly generous and smart woman who has earned the role of Deputy Commissioner and Executive Vice President of Business Affairs at the National Lacrosse League, where she provides strategic direction on all growth initiatives and legal matters facing the NLL. When hired in 2019, she became and continues to be the first female Deputy Commissioner of a Men's Professional Sports League. She previously served as Vice President, Community Development, Cultural and growth at the National Hockey League and was the executive director of the NHL Foundation. Prior to this position, she was vice president and deputy general counsel for the NHL. She was a member of the collective bargaining team for the 2012 NHL NHLPA collective bargaining agreement, which involved crafting the league's labor strategy, negotiation with the NHLPA, drafting an agreement, and analyzing the impact of the proposed changes. Prior to working for the NHL, Jessica was an associate in the labor and employment department at Proskauer Rose LLP. Jessica has held some big, big roles in sports, and while not being afraid to show up as who she is, after all, her authentic self, unique set of experiences, and diverse perspective is why she was hired. She's also a tremendous steward of relationships and believes there is nothing more important than your relationships, especially in our industry of sport. Pay attention to how those relationships have had tremendous impact on her career. Jessica dives into motherhood, including her advice for work-life integration. She'll also discuss how roadblocks can really be reintroduced as trial and learn versus trial and error. This episode is filled with content to help you level up. Please grab your pen and join me for a fantastic conversation with Jessica C. Berman. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Jessica Berman, Deputy Commissioner and Executive Vice President, Business Affairs at the National Lacrosse League. In 2019, she became and continues to be the first female Deputy Commissioner of a men's professional sports league. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thrilled
1: to have you here. Thanks so much, Emily. I'm glad to be here as well.
0: So want to start out with who you are, what you do, and how you got
1: there. Sure. Uh, Jessica Berman. I uh, I guess I'll start with a little non-traditional, not with work stuff. I'll do a little personal quick uh, on my background. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, continue to live in New York with my two boys and two dogs. Always wanted to work in sports. And as you said, now the Deputy Commissioner of the National Lacrosse League, Uh, How I got here, a lot of hard work, a lot of internships, uh, a lot of people collecting, as I describe it, and uh, really working hard to maintain deep and and close relationships across the industry. And uh, my job is to help oversee the growth of the National Lacrosse League. We're a challenger property and uh, excited to be working in an environment where we're innovating and collaborating and always looking for new opportunities to increase our revenue and relevance. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about the National Lacrosse
0: League. Tell us about the season, your season-to-season responsibilities, and how did you get into lacrosse?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'll start with the last part, which is that uh, I'm not a lacrosse person. I really uh, have learned more about the sport as I've uh, accrued some tenure here at the NLL and and met the wonderful lacrosse community who've been so welcoming to me. Uh, But really, I joined after spending 13 years at the National Hockey League. And uh, not that I would say I'm a hockey person per se, because I didn't play, but I, I really did grow up a hockey fan. So I was very familiar with that sport and that culture um, and spent most of my time there really learning about the operation of a professional sports league, both on the legal as well as on the business side. I sort of had two very separate careers there, the first for nine years and the second for, for four years. Um, and uh, about a year ago, uh, I was... Uh, hired to take on my current role as a deputy commissioner having been introduced to Commissioner Nick Sikiewicz who took over as the commissioner of the National Lacrosse League in 2016 after spending 20 plus years in Major League Soccer and uh, we're having worked on both the league and the team side and Nick and I were introduced really in the context of uh, a time in my life where I love the NHL uh, a lot of my uh, peers and friends and family always uh, felt that my identity was inextricably intertwined with the NHL. and uh, in some ways, I and they probably thought I would never leave. Uh, and the truth is, I, I really would only have left for the right opportunity to really grow and expand. And I was sort of at that point where I was at least keeping my ears open to see if there was something that would be worth the the sacrifice of leaving what was my dream job uh, for so long. And so I was really excited to take on this new challenge, uh, as I said, in September of 2019. Yeah, and when
0: you took the deputy commissioner role, you became the first female deputy commissioner of a men's professional sports league. What does this designation
1: and accomplishment mean to you? I should start by saying that when Nick and I were figuring out my job responsibilities and my title and my role. I had no idea that that's what it was going to be. Uh, and I didn't really even know that the plan was to really make that the announcement. Our All credit goes to our PR person. It was like, I, I think you are. And I was like, am I? Are you sure? Don't say that if it's not true. <laughs> so it really wasn't a fully strategic vision that i was going to become the first female deputy commissioner and that nick was hiring me for that reason uh really just sort of happened and then i think in part circumstantial just the gender equity movement uh, being so relevant at this time that a lot of people sort of paid attention to that headline and um my kids are sort of sick and tired of me doing interviews about that and talking about that um, but uh, as I've told them, if it's it's really helpful from uh, two perspectives. Number one, for other women to see that you know it is possible to begin to transcend the ranks of the decision makers at men's professional sports leagues, if that's what you're aspiring to. But then also, uh, I would say just the idea that um, I've worked really hard for this, and I. I want to do the best job that I can and uh it gives us a platform at the NLL for me to share the NLL's message and help to facilitate some of our broader strategic goals of achieving revenue and relevance uh for a challenger property. So any opportunity to help to feed that message I uh, I'm that's my job. Yeah
0: and I love that and I, I love that story and I, I share a little bit of that in a small way with AAA baseball because when I got my role, um, the headline was that I was the first female to take that role in nearly 20 years, not, not the first ever, but in, in a long period of time. And my initial reaction was, oh, this is really good PR spin, but I'm not sure that I, I like it because I got this role of what I can do. And it was a while, it was six months probably until I realized that it wasn't about me. It was about all the other women and all the other men seeing this role occupied by a female. And then it was my job to have success to pave the way for, for the next girl to take take that role. And now there's um, two other female GMs in AAA baseball. So it's it's pretty exciting to see in just a few short years Um, how the opportunity has grown
1: and women are recognized to take those positions. How awesome is that? I'm I'm sure you've been a great mentor for those new women coming on the scene. I hope so. I hope so. And I want to talk about another thing
0: we have in common. We both have two boys um, and you've got two young sons. And I wanted to ask you, you have put a tremendous amount of effort into your career to reach the position that you've earned while also being a great parent. Are there any tips that you can lay down for for us about how to chase your dream job, succeed in your dream job, but also succeed at being a great parent?
1: Yeah, what a loaded question. And um, I guess I'd start by saying I don't have all the answers and every day, is a work in progress. Uh, Every day is an assessment of where I'm needed most and making sure I'm not uh, underperforming in any area. And my role as a mom is, of course, the most important role in my life. And so um, I may have to make sure to check myself that I don't get lost in my work obligations because at the end of the day, um, it, it is probably the most important part of my legacy is how I raise my children. And so uh, I have daily check-ins with them on that. And uh, that probably brings me to the answer to your question, which is that um, in part, uh, some circumstances in in my personal life that happened, uh, my now ex-husband actually had a stroke in 2013 and My kids were five and two, and they were super young. And uh, in conversations with the medical community that was treating him at the time, I was given really good advice by the doctor. And he said, Unfortunately, this happened to you, but you are going to have to put your notions aside about how you can protect your children and bring them along for the ride and not shield them from information about what's going on because you guys are on a team together and your team is your family. And unfortunately, they're not going to have the the sheltered life you thought they could have. And really that moment changed my parenting in virtually every aspect of my life. So all the walls came down as it related to hospitals and medical treatment and things that you would never imagine sharing with children who are five and two, um, but also on the work front. And I began to really understand through experience that the same way you want buy-in from any stakeholder in your life from a business standpoint, whether it's a sponsor or you're trying to sell tickets or managing a board, any stakeholder management strategy requires that you help them to understand the purpose, the why, why is this important, and be transparent. And provide an opportunity for discussion and dialogue, feedback, so that they can have ownership and agency over the outcome. And that's how I've treated my children since they were five and two, and uh, they're now ten and twelve. And you know, most people that meet them say they're you know eighty years old, trapped in a ten and twelve year old body. <laughs> they are such old souls that it's like super scary to talk to them, but they they are so emotionally advanced and mature and really understand um, what I do and why it's important. And that's not to say that they don't have their moments of throwing a tantrum when I'm late for dinner because I'm far from perfect. But, you know, we sort of have a baseline of understanding of uh, that. It's like you just said, Emily, not just about me. And in this role, particularly, I feel a responsibility to make sure that I do a good job because not that like the future of women sits on my shoulders, but I would never want someone to be able to cite something that I mishandled as a reason for having doubts about hiring a woman, particularly as it relates to juggling family and things that I worry about as it relates to female empowerment and future in in executive roles in sports. So um, that's been my strategy for better or worse. I guess the jury's out on whether my kids will be like, uh, well developed or not, <laughs> as they grow up, but it's definitely totally eliminated the mom guilt for me because they're part of those decisions that I make on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, mom guilt is heavy, man. It's uh, it can be crippling, but you've really laid out some incredible tools uh, and thought processes for us to consider that I wanna highlight again, make sure everyone was listening to these. So Jessica, you said, bring them along for the ride and you are on a team together. So it doesn't have to be two separate things. You don't have to be Jessica Berman, deputy commissioner and Jessica Berman, mom to two terrific kids. You can be both things. And think about how you've included them in your life and your life includes your career. And you've shared with them the purpose and the why. You've been transparent. You've asked for their feedback. You've given them also ownership and agency so they feel like they're a part of it too, not that you're living as two separate humans. That's really incredible.
1: Yeah, and you know, there t- I just actually had my younger son's parent-teacher conference yesterday. So it's fresh in my mind. And she said to me, I can't believe how proud your son is of you. He talks about... Your career and the um, how hard you work and all your calls and the t- kinds of things you do all the time, and I'm like, it's because he owns it. He feels like it's part of his journey. That it is. It's part of our life. And um, if you ever talk to anyone who were have ever worked closely with me, they know way too much about my children and my family. I'm just an open book. There's no, for better or worse, separation for me. It, it's too much wasted energy to try to keep those walls up. And frankly, and I'll give a shout out to, I listened to some of your podcasts earlier this week. I think I told you um, that your interview with Allison Eddy at the NHL, and she talked about humanizing yourself. There is no question for me that to the extent and you know, i'm not i don't like to generalize or over stereotype but you know if if women who are in powerful positions can sometimes be intimidating i feel like knowing me as a mom as all of my colleagues and people i work with do really humanizes me in a way that i think is very um sort of breaks down those barriers and allows me to connect with people on a human level such a
0: great point that that type of of leadership uh, in Allison's words, that humanization of of the people around you um, I had another um, guest Samantha Hicks who talks about authentic leadership and she's learned the more she shared of herself with her staff, the more successful she has been and they have been um, as it really broke down those walls and allowed people to, be more human, share what they're going through, um, and then accomplish together. So it's, it's exciting to see those threads of success sort of come through, um, with a myriad of different women, because that is the proof that is the proof that it works and that it's worth it. And that it's something that, that you should be considering. And, you know, you've had a lot of success, but I know that there's been some roadblocks along the way. And I want you to talk a little bit about encountering those roadblocks. What are some that you've run into? um, And have you learned any lessons that you can share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, uh, I I for sure have had roadblocks. And I, I think any man or woman who isn't willing to acknowledge or admit that is probably not being honest with themselves or you uh it's just it's just part of life and um i, I think you have to be honest about that and i think that the most important step is really to say okay when i encounter that roadblock, which you will if you haven't already what's my strategy for addressing it um and for me um i've learned this in my career uh, through trial and learn, I won't say trial and error, trial and learn is that sometimes despite the desire to want to fix whatever feels like an obstacle or feels like a roadblock or feels like a problem, um, the better course after some reasonable amount of effort to try to address it is to move on. And I actually heard on one of your other podcasts I listened to someone talk about that. I think it was the the head of revenue from MGM, um, Brett, who was talking about this, and it actually resonated with me. Um, she talked about putting it, compartmentalizing it, and putting it into a box. Um, I guess what I would add to that is in terms of what I've tried to do is to find the white space, find the places where you don't have competition, where you aren't getting resistance, where there isn't tension, where there aren't tons of politics holding you back. Because those dynamics, number one, can be toxic. And number two, I think are really demoralizing. And, and I find that you know, for women who put in the amount of effort that we do in our industry that feels so male dominated, it it can have unintended consequences of just causing people to throw up their hands and say. "Um." So what I would say is that sometimes we have to be intentional and take a step back. And I have some suggestions on some strategies for, for how to kind of keep the forest in mind when you're kind of in the weeds and in that, dysfunctional cycle, to really assess the things you can control, the things you can control. And that's actually one of my many sayings and quotes that I have on my wall is the serenity prayer and really the the wisdom to know the difference, The, the, the wisdom to know whether you're trying to change yourself or trying to change someone else and having accountability for the things that are in your control.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I love, you said something a little bit earlier about finding the white space where you aren't getting resistance. And I love that. That is, it's a bit, um, novel in this conversation. Like as we're talking about resistance or change or, um, or what to do, it's like, are you so focused on where you're feeling that resistance that you're not really you're a little bit blind to where you might be able to make greater contributions or, um, or find that space where you can really excel or where maybe somebody is more friendly and accepting of your ideas
1: or the project that you're working on. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes we just become so obsessed with the path that we're on that we don't see the path we aren't on. And if there is an opportunity to contribute in a place that no one else is vying for, and you can use that opportunity to stand out, and I've done that so many times in my career. And it might sometimes be the less sexy version of the project. But remember, we're talking about working in sports. It's all pretty awesome. It's all pretty high profile. It's all pretty sexy. So you know i'll give a quick example when i was involved in the collective bargaining negotiation for the nhl back in 2012 when i was on the legal side and there was a team of lawyers and i don't mean to suggest any of it was was toxic it was not toxic it was a great team of people who were working in collaboration to get the deal done but there what it's really more of a illustration of the white space there was an opportunity to really take ownership over an aspect of the collective bargaining agreement that really no one wanted anything to do with because it was like not fun or interesting. And it was our defined benefit pension plan, which every single viewer has now like paused and exited the podcast. I promise I, promise I won't talk about the pension plan for too long. The point is that I became the internal leader of that vertical and the subject matter expert. And it allowed me to demonstrate my capabilities and to stand out because no one else wanted it. And sometimes you got to lean into those moments or opportunities and have enough perspective to see it.
0: Yeah. And That example reminds me so much of a conversation I had with Rachel Luba, who's also an attorney and she's a player agent in Major League Baseball. And she had that similar opportunity. There was a project that nobody wanted. It was, um, I think it was like organizing the different salary arbitration cases into like one cohesive resource and no one wanted to touch it. Well, little did they know the opportunity that laid forth for her because she became an expert on all of those cases, having put together all the work. So it's like those two examples of both you and her picking up a project where people were like, ah, I'm not so sure, you know, that seems pretty tedious or time intensive, like actually allowed you to become an expert and, and a resource for a greater opportunity. That's incredible.
1: Absolutely
0: it's that time of year one of my favorite times of year annual goal setting we get to make the choice on what we want to pursue for the next 12 months do you need some help do you need a guide to take you through this annual practice if so head on over to my website EmilyJanson.com, and download your free guide to creating annual goals one of the reasons I love this practice so much is it allows me to reflect on the current year and plan how I'll grow in the next. I've had this practice for several years, so it's fun to look back and see just how far I've come. Join me in being a goal getter and download my free guide at emilyjansen.com. Don't forget to share your goals with me and other Leadership is Female listeners by following me on Instagram at Emily Jansen and hashtag Leadership Female. Love that. So you've had a lot of big roles in your career. You've worked really hard to earn those and taken on a lot of challenges. Can you identify a specific tipping point where things really started
1: to come together for you? Uh, There's probably been a few. Uh, For sure, going back to my days working at Prospero Rose, the law firm where where I worked uh, before the NHL, and we represented the NHL as a client, but having the opportunity to work for Bob Batterman, who was the lead negotiator for the NHL, that was another example of white space, because at that time, the NHL was the less sexy sports property in the firm, the NBA and Major League Baseball and the NFL, like everybody was vying for those projects. And so there was white space for the NHL. Um, And that was really a tipping point for me, identifying that white space, creating a relationship with Bob, becoming his trusted associate who would do anything and everything to make sure he was prepared for negotiations, and then ultimately being staffed on the 0405 work stoppage, which was seminal in professional sports history. And that led to me being hired at the NHL because I had the opportunity to work so closely with the people there. Um, So I would say that was one tipping point. A second tipping point was, after nine years of working as a lawyer at the NHL, realizing that I really wanted a different scope of work and having the courage to approach and say, I would like to change roles here and putting forth a strategy and a plan to get their support, which they ultimately gave me. And I'm so thankful for that to lead a lot of the NHL corporate social responsibility initiatives and be the executive director of the NHL foundation um, and really getting a chance to work not in a hybrid business legal role, but completely on the business side. I I did a full transition into a completely different career. Um, And then the third I would say was taking the leap to take this current role uh, which obviously is is an amazing job and it's a huge amount of responsibility and I I love it and definitely the best professional development opportunity for me Um, but leaving the NHL was hard I had to check my ego at the door the idea of walking away from the NHL when number one it was always my dream job number two my both my kids play travel hockey my family is the, are the most obsessed hockey fans in the world. My, um, now 10 year old, but then eight year old told me that me leaving the NHL was the worst thing that ever happened to him in his life. So,
0: <laughs> oh my goodness,
1: um, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of traumatizing. Um, he, he, by the way, he's, he's supportive at this point, but <laughs> you know, it was, it was hard to leave because you know, the NHL is such a conversation starter and you get so much, you know, it's such a door opener. Um, But when I unpacked it all and I thought about my career and my professional development and being challenged and being ready for new opportunities, it was really, at least for me at that point, at 13 years of the NHL, given all the experience I had and all the opportunities I was given and where I was and what I was ready to do, it was really, I had to really like look my ego in the mirror and say, is this, is this really gonna keep me from doing something different and taking on new challenges? And, you know, for some people, by the way, you know, as I said, I was described as someone whose identity was quote, inextricably intertwined with the NHL. That's how people described me. So it was really hard to unpack that. It took many months of journal writing and therapy and conversations with my family and my kids. And ultimately I got there. So that was a a third tipping point. I'm so happy you brought that up because I had so many questions about how do you make
0: that change? How do you move through that transition successfully? Because it's a big deal when your career is intertwined with your identity. How do you make that next jump and it sounds like you moved through that you gave yourself time um you asked yourself a lot of questions you had a lot of conversations around it um and that's really what helped you like get to the other side and make the best decision for for growth in your career
1: yeah and it was really like if not this then what you know what i always said i would leave the nhl for was if i ever were to leave the nhl was an opportunity to marry together all of the experience that i had from my 13 years the nhl which as i said were two completely different scopes of work and to add on to that more of the commercial and revenue generating activities and this was that i mean it literally i couldn't script a better role job description for myself. I mean, we actually did script it like Nick Mai <laughs> I actually scripted it. And so it was like very hard to say, you know what, I, I have to stay at the NHL because I love working here. I, I did. I do love working there. I did love working there. It's just that I, I wasn't going to get the challenge and the professional development opportunities that I have now. Um, it's just wouldn't have been possible at the NHL. So it was, it was time to take the leap. I love the question you asked yourself, if not this, then what?
0: So when considering a new opportunity, if it's not this, if it's not my current role, then then what is it? And allowing yourself the space to dream of what that could be. And as opportunities present themselves, you can ask the question, like, does this fit the criteria of what I might want next in my career?
1: Yeah, I actually have some... Uh, advice on that point because the way I got to that question was a mentor um, who I had spoken to. Um, I'll, I'll give him a shout out. Why not? Um, you know, he he's a, an ally for women in our industry, hands down. Uh, Russell Wolf at the at ESPN. And when I called him to talk to him about sort of these crossroads I was at, and these were during my months at the NHL when I was exploring opportunities and having questions and dialogue and conversations. And he, I asked him for help and he was like, you're going to need to be a little more specific. I want (laughs) to do everything I can to help you. And I still remember because we live in the same town and he was driving me into Manhattan um, cause we didn't, we were trying to find time to catch up and we had no time. And it was like six 30 in the morning, we were driving down the West side highway. And I went through my whole thing about how much I love the NHL, but I'm not sure I want to stay here forever and professional development. And what are some of my goals? And he asked me, okay, name for me, the three, four, five jobs that you would want. Literally identify the people because then we could back into a strategy of how to go through a a proper networking and search process. And it may be that you never find it, or it may be that you have to modify your goals, or it may be that it takes five years, but at least then you'll know what you're looking for. And it was like, honestly, a very hard question to be asked because I was like, I have no idea. Like, I just know that I'm ready for more. But it was very hard for him to help me without more guidance. And so he really like sent me back to the drawing board. He was like, you go home, (laughs) you do work on this and come back to me when you have an answer to that question. And so I did that. Like I literally identified people whose jobs I was like, I feel like that's the next stretch. That's the next opportunity for me. And what's the version of this that I could be looking for. And um, so yeah, huge shout out to Russell. He's, He's been an awesome mentor and ally for me for a long time. I love that story because you have to do the homework. You have to
0: sometimes put pen to paper and put in the time, give yourself space to move through that thought process. And he gave you the assignment and dang, you were going to tackle it. <laughs> you were going to complete it and get that A plus, but you were also going to have self
1: discovery along the way. I, I love that. Well, I wasn't going to let him off the hook. No. helping me. <laughs> so no. I had to give him more information. I didn't do my job initially. So
0: yeah. Um, and that's one thing I, I have to ask you about too. Like you referenced so many great relationships in your career. How have you stewarded those relationships over this period of time so that you have those great people in your life to lean on as mentors,
1: um, or help you find the next opportunity? In our industry, really in life, but especially in our industry, there's literally nothing more important than your relationships. I've I've said many times, like, I'm not sure I'm necessarily the smartest person. I'm sure they could have found someone who had more of a specific experience that they were looking for in any particular job that I had or a better pedigree, all those things. But, you know, my, I, I, I feel my best asset is my relationships, my network of colleagues, of professional colleagues who are important for so many reasons. They're important for feedback and guidance. Listen, I, I called Gary Bettman yesterday to get some advice on some issues that we're navigating. Like, there is nothing more important than being able to lean on those in your, who have been in your life who have, who you respect and whose input you genuinely would like to seek. And also understanding that it has to be a two-way street. So maintaining those relationships, and I'm not talking about like saying happy birthday on Facebook, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, you've got to put in the effort and spend the time catching up with them. And honestly, I get more out of that just on a personal level then like the one off pieces of advice that i need to get on how to navigate a particular challenge or problem or issue like i genuinely love cultivating those relationships it's it's one of the things i love about our industry i think we have some of the best people working in it and um i just i adore the amount of opportunities i have to learn from all of them
0: I love what you said there, um, two way street, spend the time catching up, um, input you seek that is a really important point, like having a purpose in that outreach. And listen, I think we all want to be asked for advice. We all want to be asked for input. And so when you look at your, when you're encountering a problem, is there somebody in your network who might offer you another perspective and, not only will it mean a lot to you, but I think it means a lot to them. So I, I love that you, you pointed that out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just, it's so valuable. And our industry is so damn small. And so you are going to cross paths with the same people over and over again. So, you know, just treat every person with respect. Be, resp- be responsive to emails. Don't you know? Let people feel like you don't care. Mm-hmm. Put in the effort and and show up for people and and not just people you need something from, but people who you're being asked to mentor. Um, you know, I genuinely because of the number of the sheer number of people who have helped me in my career and the amount of time they've spent. I mean, my my assistant literally like she yells at me every single day because i i probably do on average two to three conversations a week with either law students or college students or high school students or people in the industry who are at a crossroads for some reason not just women although you know for sure i i look out for my ladies but um and not just michigan people even though some people say I, I definitely am biased towards Michigan people, um, I, I really try to make the time to give back because I, I've, I feel like I've been so fortunate to be able to take the time of so many people who have helped me in my career. So
0: if you had to lend only one piece of advice, you've laid down so much incredible information today, one piece of advice to women today so they
1: can level up tomorrow, what would you say? Don't be afraid to show up as who you are. There's all these narratives about, you know, blending in and not standing out too much. And if you're a genuine believer in diversity, which I am, for the for the substantive reasons yes it's the right thing to do ever i believe in equality and billie jean king's like my obsession and i am obsessed with nelson mandela like i i i genuinely believe in all these things but substantively from a business standpoint having people be able to share their diverse perspective will get our business to a better outcome and ultimately decision makers even if they think Hiring women or people of color is the right thing to do. What will make this movement sustain is if it demonstrates that it has impact on the bottom line. And we're only going to achieve that if people show up as their authentic self. So having a woman at the table who's not bringing her full suite of assets, and that means you as a daughter, you as a sister, you as a mother, or you as a single woman, is not leveraging why you are there. You are there because you bring that diverse perspective. So be confident that you know. even if your question is different, even if your approach is different, that's the point. The point is actually to not have a room of people who think exactly the same. Don't be afraid to be yourself, even if it seems like it's slowing down the process, if that makes sense. Like, It's, it's, we need to get more comfortable having respectful discourse and discussion and debate so that we get to a better outcome. Such a great point. I hope you all
0: heard, heard that. Be yourself. Yourself is what got you to that place and you owe it to yourself and to everybody around you to show up authentically. What incredible advice. And as you know, we wrap up every show with your favorite quote, and I was uh, lucky enough to find out that you love quotes just as much as I do. (laughs) So I'm so excited for this part. Share a quote
1: with us. Well, I've already given some of my favorite uh, quotes throughout, but uh, I guess in line with what we talked about, about my pivot points and how hard it is to let go of, what you're doing to move on to something new. I'll quote uh, one of my quotes that's actually in my bedroom that says, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. And I think no matter how hard it is to, I get the chills every time I say that, because no matter how hard it is to, to leave what you're doing and it's so scary to step into the unknown, those new beginnings give you a new opportunity to redefine yourself. To set the stage for who you want to be and how you want to show up, and believe in yourself that you can reach your potential by doing that.
0: What a beautiful statement. Thank you so much for all that you shared with us today. This is an incredible episode. I hope everyone brought their pen um, so they can jot down all these great notes to lead yourself forward um,
1: with Jessica. Thank you for being part of the podcast. Thank you. And thank you for all of your wonderful content. I I dove in deep this week and I intend to finish out all of your other episodes. So thank you for everyone you've spoken to. Amazing, amazing women. I love that. Your support means the world. Thank
0: you. How do I choose just four takeaways from that phenomenal interview? I have a page full of notes and I'm going to distill it down to Jessica's top four takeaways right here. Number one, On being a successful mother and sports executive, bring your kids along for the ride. You are on a team together. Include your children in your career journey. For Jessica, this approach is similar to how to get anyone's buy-in. Explain the purpose and the why. Be transparent, ask for feedback, and help your children to feel ownership and agency inside your career. Ultimately, their support is going to help you to achieve success in the office and at home. Number two, trial and learn. Reframe trial and error to trial and learn. Number three, when encountering resistance, look for the white space. If you keep running up against a wall, is there a space in your employment where you can succeed? Is there a place where you are not getting resistance? Select and place your efforts in that arena and watch your accomplishments blossom. Number four, take an intentional step back to assess one, what you can control, two, what you can't control, and three, the wisdom to know the difference. Ask yourself the hard questions, take out your pen and paper, and get to work looking for the answers. Hey you, did you join my email list? I want to stay in touch with you so that you'll have the heads up on new podcast episodes and get the tips you are looking for to empower you to level up. It's easy to sign up, head on over to EmilyJanson.com. I'm so excited you are here and I can't wait to help lead you forward in the career of your dreams. Again, that's Emily com. Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedis and distributed by Anchor FM.